the uh, January was one of the best months in decades for the stock market in general, as far as rising is concerned. It's up. We're currently up 7.73% year to date, which is, by the way, the average, roughly the average appreciation in the S&P 500 per year over the last 70 years or so is about 7.7, a little about 7.75. We're up 7.73 in one month. That's important to note. Um, It's up about 15%, for those of you who track this thing, from October 12th. And if you read our newsletter or have been listening to us, we were talking back then that this looks a lot like the bottom of a, the market. We, matter of fact, the term I, I think we used in the newsletter is I think we may have, or we think we may have just glimpsed the bottom of this bear market. Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such exciting things as inverted yield for curves, uh, economists' missed expectations on employment opportunities, and yes, things that are crazy exciting. And this is Jake McClure. On, this is Jeff McClure. Together we are bald. And you want to say something. So say something. That's that's all I was going to say is you left your names out. <clears throat> yes. So we're going to talk about exciting things and we're bald. And, and if you don't find those things exciting, which we just listed, then um, you should listen anyway, but uh, be bored. <laughs> we're, bald, we're bald and bearded. Yes, that too. That's important. Uh, we and have we're some, geeks. And we're geeks. Those are the, right. the most important disclosures, but we're going to jump into the other disclosures that we have. The name of this program, no, no, different kind of disclosing. I'm not, my clothes are staying on. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not on the table that I'm currently standing on. Really not. Um, I got you. Um, okay. So the personal wealth coach is the name of this radio program, this podcast. And it's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. That's not coincidental because the people talking to you are the principals at that firm. However, just because it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they think that we're any kind of good or bad or anything else. It's just a regulatory agent. It's kind of like going to the DMV and saying, I have a license. That means they like me. Nope. They don't like you. They don't dislike you. Well, how do you not like someone without disliking them? (sighs) That's how the SEC feels about us and anybody else that's registered with them. Their job is to punish and to regulate not to approve and give nice, warm, fuzzy feelings. Uh, On the other end of that, just because we're registered with the SEC as a firm to give investment advice doesn't mean we can do that on the air. We can't. Fiduciary investment advice is in the best interest of the client and comes with knowing who they are in detail, asking lots of questions, and keeping that advice and information private. So unless we know all of you who are listening, and we might... We might know you all. Still not very private for us to tell you. Even if there's only one of you listening right now, we know for a fact that the Russians download our podcasts at the same volume as the Americans do. Yes, we can tell who's downloading our podcasts. And there's a lot of Russians. So, dasvidaniya. Those of you listening from Russia, I hope you're staying warm. And please get out of Ukraine. 
There you go. Now we're on another list at the service <laughs> area in Russia. <laughs> okay. So next disclosure is that we do not pay for this radio program. We are not doing paid commercial programming. This is uh, not also paying us anything. This is kind of a volunteer thing we've been doing. I've been doing it since 1998. Older Baldy here, who also happens to be my dad, has been doing this on the air since 1996. My dad being Jeff, his son being me, Jake. Uh, we've been working together now since 1991, which should inform you as to the level of uh, insanity when you have a father-son team working together for 32 years, you get... A really old father. And bald-bearded weirdos on the radio. So that's what yeah. you've got here. Um, you've got a, a disclosure to give us, and I don't want to take it from you. So please go ahead. In your, in your best I love it. monotone, high-speed voice, please continue. Well, I, I think I'll use my radio voice instead. Okay, go ahead. The information we have obtained for this educational radio program has been sourced from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Well, we probably ought to move on to the news of the day. What and, happened and in the market this week? You are certainly welcome to send us an email to participate in what we're doing here at either Jeff or actually send it to both Jeff and Jake. And, Jake. and or. No, and. No or. Yes, Jeff at tpwc.com and Jake at tpwc.com, and we will address it on the air, presuming that we'll today in is to. February 4th, 2023, which still sounds to me like it's in the science fiction novel someplace. Uh, okay. Yes. Well, we had a week in the market, and the market wasn't weak during the week, so uh, it did okay. Yeah. It was an interesting. The, the market just kind of puttered along uh, at the beginning of the week. And Wait, then, waiting like, on the Fed, and then uh, or someone like him, mm -hmm. and the um, then Chairman Powell had his news conference, and he said a couple of things that got everybody really, really, really excited. He said the disinflation process has started. Okay, quick, quick timeout. What is the difference between inflation, disinflation, and um, deflation? deflation? Disinflation is when you're removing very recent inflation. Deflation is when you're removing stuff that was never inflated and bringing that price down. Uh, and that, in some ways, that sounds really great. But uh, in reality, that is much worse than bad inflation. So right. disinflation is what we're looking for. We don't want to get into deflation. Now, back to you. So he said some other things of that nature. But he also said very clearly that interest rates still continue to rise. The Federal Reserve, he announced, the purpose of the news conference was to announce the fact, the thing that everybody, the consensus was completely 100% was going to happen, which is the Federal Reserve raised short-term interest rates by a quarter of a percent. So now the interest rates there at the short-term interest rates were, it's called the interbank rate between banks is from 4.5 to 4.75%. It's very confusing to say both of them, so it's easier just to say the higher one, 4.75%. Uh, but though, that's the highest most interest of, rates we've seen. Most of the media quotes the lower end. They do? Yeah. So when we were coming out of the Great Recession, they quoted for years that we were at a 0% um, yeah. interbank lending well, rate, when really we were at between zero and a quarter point. And they really don't understand. They don't understand it. But that's okay. Neither, the, do, neither does the Fed. So it's all good. 
But they yeah, do. I think the they more, they understand it more than the media does. Yeah, yeah, yeah I hope so. Anyway, um, so we're at four point seven five percent for short term interbank loans, which is still uh, pretty good. Still good. Now, the last time we were at this level was 2007. Now, some of you may have really, really, really long-term memories and remember something happened that began in 2007 um, economically. Oh, I, I know, I know, I know. Um, that was the New Year's Eve that led to 2008. I'm good at this. I, I get these questions right all the time in trivia, but I never get any prizes. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, and yeah, I the global financial crisis. I haven't seen anybody raise the issue that the last time that interest, short-term interest rates were this high, it caused a bubble to pop in the housing market that a lot of people didn't know was there. Now, in, in retrospect, we look back and say, oh, yeah, we knew it was there. No, it, most people had no clue that there was a big bubble in the housing market at that point. Now, now I can say clearly that we did. This is, this is, we didn't write about it in great depth, except I did, just not publicly. I was in the middle of doing some intensive educational programs at the time. Right, uh, uh, clench your teeth and speak like this type of school. And part of my project was to um, dissect the mortgage-backed securities and actual actual securities. We're not talking about the like a, a, a class project of let's see what would be inside one of these things if you dissect it. It was actually a series of things to try to figure out who had the authority to foreclose on a mortgage. So mm. at the people, the professors at this school knew there was a problem and me dissecting it said, whoa, you can't foreclose on these properties. <laughs> and they're not worth what people say they're worth. So yeah, 2007, that's what we were in at that moment. And if you look at those same packages today, you know who owns them you know who can foreclose on them, and you know that there aren't, uh, generally speaking, uh, 80 gajillion people with nine houses that they claim as their primary resident. So we may have a pop to our bubble, but it's not the same kind of bubble. All right, back to you. We, we still haven't gotten to the market in detail. No, I keep interrupting no. you. Sorry. Mm. Well, the stock market, represented by the S&P 500 stock index, um, was up 1.62% for the week, which sounds like a small rise, but it's another one of those cases where we, if you multiply that out for 52 weeks, it becomes quite impressive. Which we're not recommending you do to say this is what's going on. Go ahead. The uh, January was one of the best months in decades for the stock market in general, as far as rising is concerned. It's up, we're currently up 7.73% year to date, which is, by the way, the average, roughly the average appreciation in the S&P 500 per year over the last 70 years or so is about 7.7, about a little about 7.75. We're up 7.73 in one month. That's important to note. Um, it's up about 15% for those of you who track this thing from October 12th. And if you read our newsletter or have been listening to us, we were talking back then that this looks a lot like the bottom of a the market, we, matter of fact, the term I, I think we used in the newsletter is I think we may have, or we think we may have just glimpsed the bottom of this bear market. And I say glimpse because it just touched there briefly on the 12th and then started up again. And it did. And indeed, we're moving along in the right direction. It's up, we're now up 84%. The stock market is up 84% from its low back in March 2020. Now, why is that important? Well, it's 
just under three years ago. And the three-year trailing return is, is one of the things that we watch. You're about to see the three-year trailing return of the S&P 500 go astronomical because we'll be measuring from March of 2020. Now, here's the, here's the key. If you didn't get out at the bottom of that scary market during the great financial, whatever, the, the great well, recession. The global financial crisis. The, yes. yes. Then you, in effect, invested low and have seen an 84% gain if you were in the S&P 500 index fund that tracks it or something like that. Now, you probably aren't completely in there. I hope you're not. That's all you're invested in. But the important thing to recognize is put these things in perspective. They become very interesting. We're also up about 22%. From three years ago. Now that's going to change just a little bit. Right now we're up about 22% from the time just before the pandemic. Why is that important? Again, take that 7% number. Three sevens is 21. Compounded, it becomes 22. So what we've seen from 2019 to the present, as we have gone through some of the greatest gyrations most people have seen in their investing career in the stock market, what we've seen is an incredibly average rate of return Long-term average rate of return and the average for the last three years are almost identical. So nothing happened over the last three years as far as the stock market is concerned. If you look at it three years at a time, I, I think that's important. Yeah, nothing um, happened. If you, if you took a, a checkout in 2019 and you looked at the market, just the averages of the market, not the swings all over the place, you'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, it was a pretty normal time period. Yep. Yeah. Now, uh, we also follow – now, th there's, there's another – Little side note here. The S&P 500 is still down 14% from where it was at the beginning of last year when it hit its peak. So depending on how you look at it, if you're looking at measuring from the peak of the market in early January of, uh, of last year, the market's down 14%. If you're looking at three years, you're up a little on average 7% a year. I mean, it, it is investing is largely about your time horizon and perspective. And it's important to keep that time horizon reasonably long, or you can get into a lot of trouble. Um, we also follow the CRSP US mid-cap value index because we really like mid-cap value uh, as an asset class. And we find it very fascinating. Anyway, it's it closed at 25.17 points. I didn't mention where the market closed. It's 41, the S&P 500 closed at 41.36.48. Uh, again, Above 4,000, the technical indicators are we have recovered from the bear market and we're heading into a bull market and we've stayed above 4,000. Uh, so we're doing, we're doing pretty well. Um, the CRSP U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index, as I said, closed at 2517.97, up 1.22% for the week. It's up 7.62% so far this year. And critically, it's only down about 3% from its all-time high last year. So you can see that the mid-cap value portion, which is mainly in the S&P, part of the S&P 500, has behaved very differently from the broad S&P 500 index, which is the, the lesson here. Uh, the U.S. Treasury yield finished the week almost exactly where it started. But like a lot of, of other it. things, it bounced around. It actually fell rather significantly right after the uh, the Federal Reserve News Conference. And then after the jobs report, which we'll talk about, it shot back up again. Uh, everybody's scared of there being too many people working. And uh, it, it showed because the, the for instance, the S&P 500 and the other indices dipped on Friday after we get the jobs report. And we'll talk about the jobs report. Um, so the yield on the 10-year Treasury note finished at 3.53%. So basically where it was last week, uh, even though it was down to 3.34% on Thursday. Uh, the yield curve is still 
very decidedly inverted. Uh, and it, it may not be may not be the indicator it once was because of the circumstances we're in right now. Uh, the six-month and one-year maturities both are yielding about 4.8%. From a practical point of view, what does that mean? Historically, buying, short, buying a portfolio of short-term bonds that will mature in the next few years is where you would get you would get a better return if you held them for a few years than you would out of short-term treasury T-bills or money market funds or whatever. That has reversed itself. Basically, money market funds, uh, by and large, are paying significantly more interest if you have your money in them than you would get per year than if you owned a 30-year treasury bond uh, and with, with way less risk. So there's... There's a piece of wisdom right there that right now, uh, I don't mean the money market funds at the bank. I mean the money market mutual funds uh, that are, they're generally, because of the change in law on that, are government money market funds, meaning that they are they invest in short-term government securities. But they are paying a very, very good yield relative to what they've seen historically and certainly better than the banks, which the banks are certainly feeling right now too. Okay, um, West Texas Intermediate. Crude oil fell 7% to $73.76 a barrel. Cool. That's all I got to say. That's where it also was at the end of the first week of the year. It means that gasoline and diesel prices are going to remain relatively, and I want to emphasize the term relatively, low, about where they are. They're not going to move around a lot, it looks like, um, which is really good for the economy. It's equivalent, uh, as the price of fuel falls, it's equivalent of a stimulus into the economy. If it rises, it's the equivalent of a de-stimulus or a contraction shot on the economy. And that's all I really have to say. There's lots, of, lots more to say about the markets. We can talk about currencies and gold and all that, but it's, this, this, that's the important stuff I just did. Yeah. We have more to talk to you about. Our keyword was China. Um, we've got a lot of stuff happening between us and China. China is changing a lot of what it's doing. Um, this this balloon that's heading over the country, by the way, is one of those little pieces. Um, and China is mocking us at the governmental level over our upset over this, this silly balloon. Why are we so upset about the balloon? Um, and the reality is that we're upset about the balloon because you just put a, a high altitude but still within the atmosphere um, spy thing right over our country. Uh, we're okay with it if you put it up in a satellite, but this, is, this isn't an air traffic control area. But it doesn't feel good. It's not part of the norms. And we're right in the middle of another report that shows that China, according to their own customs reports, are sending a whole bunch of equipment to sanctioned arms creators in Russia. Um, so they're not following our sanctions. Well, n neither is India. But this is part of the issue in that China's manufacturing capability is beginning to come back up online. And we still got about half a week, a little bit more than that, of their Lunar New Year celebrations to get through. And then their manufacturing is supposed to be at full blast. When they get to full blast, expect prices to come down. But in the middle of this, we're still, and I have got my finger on this pulse, there's no boardrooms that are talking about making new manufacturing facilities in China. There may be one or two out there that I don't know about, but this is something that, 
four years ago, when someone discussed a new manufacturing facility, the first word on any lips was China. That is the last, if it's the first word on the boardroom's lips right now is China is not the place to go. Why? What? Why is it that we are disconnecting from China as the world's manufacturer? Because that's what it is, by the way. Just, just saying that as clearly as possible. The manufacturing in China outstrips everybody else by a large amount. It's just that's the way it is. If you're buying something made of plastic, it has about a 95% chance of coming from China because they make the most plastic stuff by far. Now, we're they're calling it nearshoring when we're moving to Mexico manufacturing. And Mexican manufacturing is just ballooning at the moment. It's just going nuts because people are bringing the supply chain closer. Uh, Vietnamese and Thai manufacturing is ballooning. Singapore is getting into manufacturing. This is crazy. This is a city-state island that does not have room to build stuff, and they're getting into manufacturing. Uh, it's why they're they've got higher paid workers by far than China. Why would somebody pay more to have it made in Singapore than in China or anywhere else for that matter? Because it's still going to cost us a bit more to go to Vietnam or to Thailand. We got the initial investment of the manufacturing facility itself and training these people who have never ever been trained in manufacturing. And the reason is China has shown themselves very clearly to be non-dependable when when the, the times get tough. They don't care about their customer relationship at the at the larger level. And that trickles all the way down to each manufacturing facility. There are still some partnerships with American companies that are good partnerships in China. Apple's got some, but even they are having troubles. The most rock-solid partnerships between corporations in America and in China and in Germany and in China are falling apart right now. And that's coming from the top. They're trying hard to move to a consumer-based economy, and they're having difficulty. As people are leaving, as corporations are leaving the, the Chinese supply chain, it's leaving these facilities, these massive manufacturing facilities, with nothing to make. So what we're discovering is they're not stopping production of what they were making before. They're continuing to manufacture whatever it was that the American company manufactured there. But now the American company is going somewhere else. So now China's in direct competition with their original partner. This is not causing goodwill. It's also stifling innovation at a huge level in China. Because if they're taking licensed stuff, obviously belongs to someone else. It's somebody else's intellectual property and making it. They don't say, we only do this to Americans or we only do this to Germans. They're doing it to each other. And so people that are leaving one manufacturing facility and going to another one are setting up on their facility the ability to make what they were making at the last place. And that's causing the quality to drop drastically. It's causing 
um, people that make stuff there to not want to make stuff there. This is a big shift in China, and they're loosening up and they're turning on their manufacturing potential again. Expect prices to drop, but also expect quality to drop. Quality's already been dropping. They're not going to increase the quality standards. Most of the quality supervisors for the Chinese manufacturing facilities, period, came from people that weren't born in China. I know that's weird because they have the largest population on the planet. Well, India may have just passed them. And yet the majority of their quality control came from outside. And as the manufacturing got messed up during the supply chain issues of the pandemic, the quality control people had to come home to wherever they were from, which left no quality control. Even in major American companies, and there's, the, for some reason, the studies on this centers on, center on bras, like lingerie bras, and the quality of the construction of a bra, because that is the place that is the most apparent, evidently. I'm, I don't have much in the way of experience on this end, but this is where the studies are. Bras used to last from a quality manufacturer, Victoria's Secret. You can go down the list of, of bras. They used to last 10 years plus, a good decade out of a bra. That is not the case anymore. The average bra is lasting about a year, and some of them a lot less than that. These are from the same manufacturers or at least the same companies manufacturing them that gave you a 10-year bra before. This isn't the only thing that this is in. It's a really good example of what we're seeing, though. Expect more of that for a while. Expect to lower your expectations on the quality that you're buying of almost anything right now because things are so weird. Just expect it. Somebody's going to make a name for themselves on the quality side, and then the market's going to change again. But don't expect that right away. And we're about out of time. Did you have 20 seconds to fill up real quick to say goodbye? You don't uh, have I to. I can say goodbye. I can say that be careful. Don't get into weird stuff uh, and get help if you need help. And take care of yourself. It looks like we're going to have a good 2023 to make. I, I agree with that. I think 2023 looks fantastic. Keep your savings high. Keep your debt low. We say that in good times. We say that in bad times. Um, if you're investing, do it for the long term. Buy a stock. When it goes up, sell it. If it doesn't go up, don't buy it in the first place. It's good Will Rogers in there. If you'd like to contact us off the air, uh, we have voicemail waiting locally. We give advice on portfolio management as well. Uh, locally, we have voicemail waiting. 254 947 11, 11. Or you can head toll-free to 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you will find our Made for Radio Faces. If you'd like to read our newsletter or sign up for it, you can do it there. You can listen to our radio program going back. You can contact us on the contact form or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.